You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. George Cope, it is a pleasure to have you on Real Faith Stories. Thanks for being here. Brian, I am uh, I'm honored. I'd like to start out with a life-altering experience you had back in the second grade where you overheard your teacher tell your mother that you should actually be sent to a school for the mentally retarded. And we fast forward many years to today, and you have your PhD in leadership development. You're a former college president and currently a college professor teaching ministry, leadership, and management. What on earth happened? Well, isn't it just like God to take a dyslexic kid and make him a college president? I guess <laughs> that's the the real issue is that, yeah, um, everyone comes through uh, their own experiences in life. I was born into a minister's home. My mom and dad pastored for 36 years. They were missionaries on the island of Sri Lanka for 22 years. They're still alive and married, 72 years of marriage. I come from a faith background. Mm -hmm. When I started to develop, I realized that I was different in some way from other people, reading and counting. In fact, I failed kindergarten because I couldn't count to 10. So that in and of itself was a, was a realization that George was different. And to make that so challenging, I had a sister three and a half years older than I, who graduated from high school when she was 15 and from the University of South Alabama when she was 19. Wow. So I was always compared. Mm -hmm. So in my second grade, the story you mentioned, it's true. I was having troubles. It was a parent-teacher conference. My mother positioned me outside the door. And that day when my second grade teacher said, uh, Mrs. Cope, you need to put George in the school for the mentally retarded, I was identified. I heard those words. I can hear them as though it were yesterday. Mm. And in that moment, the pain, the overwhelming sense of pain that struck me that now I had a label and I had to deal with that label. That was a very, very painful day. And it stuck with me for years trying to work through that process of identifying me as someone that was retarded. What were the things that occurred after this? And what happened throughout your elementary years in high school? Well, uh, what happened was, is that I never made a passing grade in any school. So at my age, dyslexia wasn't a term. You were either normal, you were slow, or you were retarded. So they had to find a label for me. Um, so my mother chose to say I was slow, but my teachers thought I was retarded. If you can't read and you can't write, you can't do any kind of work. I received a zero on everything that I did. I went through, Brian, all of my years from my kindergarten through high school and technically never passed any class. The only thing that I remember doing well in was typing. Isn't that interesting? I could mm. type, yeah. but I couldn't, I couldn't answer anything because you can't spell and so it was challenging. Here's what it did. It, it threw me into this, this dichotomy of, of lives. 
on Sunday and in my faith, I had this reality that my mother would tell me every day, George, God doesn't make junk and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That was my faith. That was home. But when I went to school, I had teachers tell me that I was stupid. I was dumb. I would never amount to anything. Wow. And so I lived this dualistic life where my faith on the weekends and my family would support me. But when I got into the environment of school and that, I was just a loser and people would laugh at me. So I really ultimately, very honestly, I wanted to die before I had this capacity to spiritually find myself. Mm -hmm. I felt like God, the only way I could define it was these exact words. God, you've played a dirty trick on me. I'm the only one different. Everybody else is normal. And so my thought was, I want to die. Why do I want to live like this? Little did I know, now fast forward, little did I know that that part of my life was God's preparation for my future. And that's how I see it, is that what I am today is the result of the of the brokenness and the heartache and the challenges of growing up a dyslexic kid and realizing at the age of 13, and, th- and this is where everything changed. At the age of 13, I was in a youth camp. I heard these words, George Cope, I call you to be a pastor. At that moment, I looked around to find the adult voice that was speaking to me, saw no adult within 30 feet of me, and I realized that was God. I bowed my head and I said, God, how can I be a pastor? I can't read or write. Mm. I've never heard that voice before that day nor since that day. But when I asked the question, it was like this inner, inner voice said, I'll take care of that. I believed the voice. And that was the only thing that spared my life, that I believed that God could use a kid like me. And I said, yes, I never doubted. I never questioned the call of God on my life. And I just pursued it. And I've worked diligently all of my life to achieve because it still has not come easy, Mm -hmm. but I had to apply myself. And with the application came the work of the Holy Spirit, came the revelations of God, came favor, came effort and ability. And I just found my way to learn. And I was able to get my degrees, pass with uh, flying colors. And now I have the testimony that God can use anybody. If he can use me, he can use anybody. Incredible. Let me circle back on something, George. You said that you basically failed every class through Mm -hmm. elementary school, high school, but they kept moving you on to the next level, the next class. Why was that? Why do you suppose? No one ever said, but I was a good kid, so I didn't get into trouble. I went to school in my elementary. You think about this. I went to school, did not miss one day of school from first grade to sixth grade. Never missed a day of school, never caused problems, never ended up in the principal's office. So I'm a good kid. Mm -hmm. They would just pass me on. They told my mother, we don't know what to do for George, we just, and they would pass me on. So I would go to summer school every, I went to summer school every year from the first grade through my high school years, because that's what I needed. They would say, well, he's not doing well. So we'll put him in summer school. I went to summer school, 
when I got out of summer school, I was no better off than the day I went into summer school. Mm. So they just pushed me along. They mm-hmm. said, he's a good kid. We don't know what to do. We can't help him. So we'll just do this. So when I graduated from high school, it wasn't because I made the grade. It was because I didn't cause them problems. And they just, I, I was 18 years old and it was time for me to graduate. Just time to go, right? Yep. I'll never forget in my junior year at the end, they did, uh, they were doing college assessment. So you take this aptitude test and basically they would run it through a computer and they would send it back and it would tell you what you should sort of prepare for after high school. So I'll never forget everybody, you know, my friends around me, everybody said, oh, I'm supposed to be an engineer or, or a teacher or a mathematician or a doctor or a lawyer. Mine came back a forester. I was to sit in a tower in the forest watching for forest fires. In other words, my aptitude came back and said, I should be Smokey the Bear. I should watch for forest fires. And I'll never forget that thinking. That's all the world thinks I'm good enough to do mm. is to be a to be a forester, watch for forest fires. And get me, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's a bad deal, but that was sort of the only no one else got that. I'm the only one that got that, that I had no sense of that I could produce and become and achieve. Nobody ever said that to me. So you've got this word from the Lord, this voice spoke to you at 13 and said, you're going to be a minister. And then you get this aptitude test five years later that says you should be a forester. Between the time you were 13 and the time you got that aptitude test result, what is it that's going on in your mind knowing that you heard the voice of God at 13? What is it that's keeping you going? What are the things that are going on in your heart? Looking back, I don't think I had the wisdom or the uh, stability to say it, but I can say it now. Looking back, I would say I had to ask the question constantly, who am I going to believe? Mm. And for whatever reason, I believe the voice of God. I need to tell you this little piece of the story, Brian. Because I was at a youth camp when I was 13, Mm -hmm. I come back home on the church bus. My parents and my sister meet me at the foot of the old yellow church bus steps. My father looks at me and says, George, what happened at camp? And I said to my dad, Dad, God called me into ministry. My sister begins to laugh. She looks at my mom and dad and says, how can George be a pastor? He can't read or write. I remember that. And yet my mom and dad never, they never said you can't. My mom and dad never pressured me from that point on. They just would simply say, if God has said it, George, God's going to do it. Mm -hmm. So it was the reinforcement of parents that allowed me to, to know that they believe that God spoke to me. And then I just found myself gravitating. My dad would, my dad would engage me in ministry. My dad would send me to the hospital if he's got somebody. When I was 16, I used to do hospital visits. George, I've got a lot going on because I loved people. Mm-hmm. And I already felt this pastoral heart. So I'd go to the hospital at 16. I, I remember Christmas passing out Christmas baskets to shut in people. And my, I would pray with them and they would, they would hug me and say, you know, 
thank you for coming today and 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 being Jesus to me. I, I so that was all good. I found myself already beginning to find ways to minister, and it it seemed right. It mm. seemed good, even though those people did not know I couldn't really read or write. So that was the fuel. Doing those types of things was the fuel yes. that kept you going. Obviously, right? Absolutely. And then after graduating high school, what happened next? Well, I went to Bible school. Great question. My mother had to help me fill out my college application. I wrote to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and they accepted me. Little did they know my mother's handwriting was on the application. (laughs) Uh, So they said, come. So I went and I did my classes and I was going to flunk out at the end. The dean had called me in and, you know, George, you're just not doing well. Are you really cut out for this? And I just went back and I said, I know that God's called me. So what happened was toward the end of my freshman year, I fell in love with my wife. We will be married. We were married in 1971. So uh, this week, in fact, we will be married 49 years. I married the right woman for the wrong reason. I married her because she was a straight A student and I felt like she could get me through college. So I went into the dean. I said, Dean, I'm getting married and I'll be better if I have a wife to help me through school. And you know what? He believed me. He did not release me. And so my wife helped me write papers and study. And you know what? I still didn't do well. I graduated with a C minus. But they left me in because I could articulate the call of God on my life. It was without hesitation that I knew that I had been set apart for this. And they believed that. And so I, be, I found out when I was in college, I was an auditory learner. Mm-hmm. I really understood that, that if I listened, I could grasp it. I didn't do well on tests, but I, I comprehended the material. So today... My Bible is 66 books in my head. I see Genesis to Revelation. I know what happened in those books. And I can pull those stories and, and truths and, and theology out of that because I learned to, to uh, my aptitude was to take the Bible as 66 books and have an understanding of every story And they are captured in my mind, in my spirit forever. And that's how I learned. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't pass all the tests, I was able to grasp and leave college with a sense of destiny. And your wife, obviously, she was absolutely critical in helping you through this process. But she also helped you in a huge way when you were working on your doctorate. Absolutely. She, uh, She was the motivation we found ourselves, I mean, I could, I could write, but I was college president and I had pastored and I was going through all these experiences. It took me nine and a half years to do my master's degree because I'm pastoring full-time. I'm a college president full-time. I'm writing, I'm reading, I'm doing these things. And so I'm in my dissertation. And I remember a day when I had, uh, it was about two thirds of the way through I just had had it. I had taken every day off for almost a year to write. I would go into my office at eight in the morning. I wouldn't leave until five at night and I would write and research and that. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm th- two thirds of the way through. I come home at noon one day and I said to her, I quit. I can't do this. It was a brain freeze. It, it, it was just, I, I was exhausted mm-hmm. from all of this. And my wife looked at me and she said, over my dead body, will you quit? You've come too far to walk away from this. She said, you turn around, get back in your car, go back to your office, and don't you come home until you've written some more pages. <laughs> that was the kind of woman I married to. I look back on that day, and you know what? In my own flesh, I would have quit. Mm-hmm. But I had, a, I had a wife who believed in me. Wow. And so there's another gift. It wasn't her I- intellect that I needed from my wife. It was her belief. Mm-hmm. She always would look at me and say, George, you're going to accomplish. You're going to achieve. You can do whatever God has created you to do. Never accept limitations. So when I saw I couldn't, she could see me far greater than I ever could see myself. Incredible. I'm going to go back to when you left college. What was the timeline between the time you got out of college and became a college president? Explain that process. Okay. I graduated from college in 1974, and I became a college president in 2000. Okay. So it's been a few years. Uh, It's been a few years. (laughs) We sometimes want to see the immediacy. I look back at my life and realize that everything that happened along the way was all part of God's preparation. Mm. I, I would tell you that I had delayed adolescence, that I, I, it took me a while to mature. My wife was, in some ways, she was ahead of me in maturity. In other ways, I was ahead of her. But there was this season that I would sincerely say I had a stunted emotional growth. Mm-hmm. I believed too much the negative words that were spoken over me and around me. And I had to push my way through. And it took little successes. Every little success would remove the negative declarations over me of my inability to achieve excellence. Mm-hmm. Those years were all part of the development. I pastored very successful churches in the sense of God gave me growth. God, we saw we saw financial breakthrough. We built buildings. You know, I had multi-million dollar budgets. We were we were the largest church in our region. I mean, I was on radio and television. All of those things were happening, but they were all part of the process of the development of my life. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to be that person until 2000, from 1974 to 2000. And as I look back now, I believe I'm in the greatest years of my life. I've had great successes in the past, but I believe my greatest days are yet before me. Well, it sounds like it. When you became a pastor, how long was it after high school that that occurred, or college, I should say? Um, I, when I graduated from college, I became a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there two years, and then in 1976, I pastored my first church in the inner city of Chicago. So I, um, I moved, so I had my first 
a full-time responsibility of pastoring a church in 1976. How did you get that job? Uh, That's another interesting story, Brian. It's very clear that to me that God was in charge of my life. Got to tell you this quick story. When I came back from youth camp, I told you about being 13. Mm -hmm. It was about a month had gone by and I was sitting one morning in the kitchen having breakfast and my dad walks in the kitchen and I looked at my dad. I had prayed that morning. I said, dad, how am I going to know when God wants to use me or move me or whatever? My dad is not, it was not an educated man. My dad dropped out of high school when he was 16 during World War II, got a job, built his own building, started a ministry God had called him He went to college for uh, a year. My mother got pregnant. He had to drop out. My father to to this day has pastored churches of over 1,500 people and again, large budgets, but he never had a high school diploma or a college diploma. Mm -hmm. My father had a library of 5,000 books. He read. He was a self-made kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. So tell you that to say he 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 didn't look at me with an intellectual eye and and give me some pontification of reality and truth. He I, I said that I remember him looking, sort of putting his hand on his chin and cheek. He looked back at me, he said, Son, God knows where you live, and when he needs you, he'll knock on your door. Mm-hmm. Those words were like a tattoo on my soul. It was like God himself said that. So now what I'm about to tell you, most people don't believe, is that I've never asked for a job. I didn't ask to be a college president. I've never applied. I've never written a resume. Every place I went, including the youth pastor job, I got a letter from a pastor who said he heard about me and wanted to know if I was interested in being interviewed by him. And I said, yes. And then the next church called and the next church called and the next church called and the college called. I mean, everything, even the job I'm in now as the the executive director of a nonprofit. I didn't ask for this job. They came looking for me the day after I resigned from one position, not knowing what the next would be. My phone rings and a man comes to my office and says, what's new in your life? And I said, did you know I resigned yesterday? And he goes, no, I didn't know that. And I said, I did. He said, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I described what the next stage looked like. And he said, I think I can help you with that. (laughs) I've never asked for a job. You know why? Because God knows where you live. I love God created me. God called me. God has anointed me. And I've trusted my life into his hands. And that may sound a bit strange to people, but I, I'm a simple believer, Brian. I, I just believe that if God created me, he has purpose for me that God knows what my future is. I'm not saying that write, writing resumes are wrong and asking. I'm not saying that. But for me, God proved that every step of my life was ordered by him. And I've just simply lived a life that I look back and say, if I died today, I would have lived my life all over again. And let me say this. I'd be dyslexic again too, Brian. Mm. I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, was it tough? Yes. Would I wish that not what I went through on anybody? I would not on my worst enemy. But I have no regrets. I'd do it again because I've become what God created me to become. You know, as you are sharing the fact that 
you didn't actually apply for any of these positions, that they came to you. I do recall us having a conversation before this about how hard you worked in every position you had, however. No doubt. Just because I was called doesn't mean it came easy. Exactly. Explain that. I wish I could tell you that when God called me, that he healed me. I went to a psychiatrist. I was fully evaluated over three days. I wanted to know everything about myself so that I could tell the story with authenticity, that I could say that I have been uh, tested and I am I am the classic dyslexic kid. Mm-hmm. So letters still flip. We're driving down the road and my wife, I'll read a roadside sign and my wife will say to me, now read that sign again. I saw the word differently than was on the sign because the letters flipped. Mm -hmm. So I saw a different word. I work six days a week all of my life to do in six days what most people can do in two Mm -hmm. because I never felt adequate. I always had to work. It seemed harder. So when I preach, I manuscript. I, I wrote it out as though it were a book, and I manuscripted everything so that I would feel that if my brain gave way in a sermon, I would have a backup system in paper in front of me. Thank God I've never had to go to it, mm-hmm. but that was it. So working hard, striving, pushing myself, it didn't come what I would say easy. You know, and the reason I bring this up is people listening to this, hearing your story about never, ever, never having to apply for a job. But the other component of this, the flip side is when you did get a job, you had to work exceedingly hard at that position. So it wasn't just handed to you. No, absolutely not. And I didn't do it on, again, it wasn't on the merit. I I feel like that is part of the job. A lot of people sort of assume that when it, you know it's God because everything is easy or it comes sort of natural, when in fact, I think um, Paul said it uh, pretty correctly when he said it to the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Mm-hmm. I think we can apply that to to our calling, our jobs. I think that if you don't work at what you're doing, you'll never enjoy the benefits of what you're doing. Just because God's hand is upon you doesn't mean that everything doesn't come with its struggles and its challenges. Absolutely. Just read the New Testament and you'll see the church, even though they had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they had opposition. So never assume that because we're gifted by God for something, that it automatically removes the obstacles and the challenges. It's those things that truly temper and make you understand that God expects the best effort from us, even when it becomes in some ways easy. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm a public speaker. I love to communicate. My spiritual gifting is that of exhortation. But you can't exhort something that you don't know and you haven't studied and read. So for me, the hard part is the theological, it's the reading, it's all of that to make sure that when I am able to find myself in an opportunity to speak, that I have foundation and information and solid truth that I can stand on, that people will know that I'm not just speaking words. 
but that there is something truly that's coming from within me that is beyond my own natural ability that is coming directly from the heart of God. Yeah. What you reference too with this this whole component of having to work hard is you go back into Hebrews and it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he's constantly forcing the faith issue and creates these gaps where we have to trust him. That's absolutely. And that's part of the problem. My dyslexia required me to every time I was involved, whether in front of five people or 500 people or 5,000 people, to remember that my reliance was upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. I had an old college professor that said once he, he, he taught evangelistic preaching And he said, if you ever go to the pulpit and your knees are not shaking, you need to get out of the pulpit because you're too dependent on yourself. Wow. And and so I've never forgotten that. Just because I feel like I'm prepared still doesn't give me the absolute sense that my preparation is limited. The Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit's and power upon my preparation is unlimited. Mm. And so it's what I've done. Plus, and and the key component is the majority of the work is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I just show up and do my best. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint it, it's going to go nowhere anyway. Yeah. So I have to be reliant always on him. Now, as you've gone through your life, I would suspect that the Lord has brought so many people into your sphere of influence. What is it that you see as a recurring theme? with regards to the type of communication you're sharing with people to help them in their life. Is there, are there a couple key things that you see over and over in terms of how God brings people into your world? Absolutely. I think we live in a day when more people have the sense that they aren't qualified and capable in and of themselves. There is more than one would realize a sense of I'm not good enough. Hmm. So I think that one of the things, the messages that I find myself saying to people is, it's like my mother said, God doesn't make junk and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That if you view yourself as unqualified or not capable in the natural realm, that God, if you know who he is in your life, then there's not anything that you can't do with his help and his strength. The very first time I told my story, what I've just told you, I didn't tell anybody until I was 32 years of age because I was ashamed of the story, Brian. So, you know, I I think I need to say that I grew up feeling ashamed. If people knew I was dyslexic, then people wouldn't want to be around me. They wouldn't want me to be involved. Nobody would want to hire me. The churches wouldn't accept me. So I had that fear. Mm -hmm. So the first time I told my story, God told me I had to do it on television. And it was on a national program. It was a one hour live program on a national Christian television network. And I remember telling God, if I tell the story, I'll be the laughing stock of America. My parents will be embarrassed. And I, it's over. My future is over. Mm. So I, I, there's a thousand people in the audience. I'm speaking. And when I get to the end, I thought I'm going to tell the story and I'm going to go as I'm concluding the program, I'll pray and I'll, it'll be over and 
That's it. I tell my story very, very briefly, not in any way, shape or form like I've told you today. And I'm praying as the program is going and the credits are running. And when I said amen, I opened my eyes and there are about 300 people kneeling from the thousand people that have been sitting seated Mm. in the audience and they're weeping. They're on their face. And for the next hour and 15 minutes, people waited and would come up to me saying, you just described my life. My husband, that's my husband. I wish my child was here. I realized in that moment that my story, when appropriate to tell by the Holy Spirit, that the story would impact people who didn't feel that they had what it took to achieve in life. So that's the first answer. I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people. I've been the keynote speaker for the National Association of the Learning Disabled twice. I've had my story printed in international publications. I've written my story. I've done it on television and radio. I've spoken at a lot of different places when the Holy Spirit's prompted me. And everywhere I've gone, I've gotten the same response. Mm. And if God can use you, he can use me. So I think that's number one. Mm -hmm. I think number two, the other thing would just simply be is that don't look at the failures or the challenges of your past as the mark of what your future is going to look like. I think a lot of people say, well, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. Therefore, I will never be able to do anything. And so they let their identity be marked by the negative issues of the environment or or their family or their academia or whatever it is, therefore feel like they can never achieve. Mm-hmm. You see, the scriptures always remind us that faith, faith is not quantity. That Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed. He didn't say if you have the faith of the mount, the size of a mountain, mm-hmm. he said mustard. So it doesn't take a lot of faith. What it does is that it takes a simple amount of faith in the one that you believe in who has called you. Mm. And I think that what most people I've talked to, they have believed the negative report. They have believed the words spoken over them, you're stupid, you're dumb, you'll never amount to anything. I chose to believe the words of my mother. God doesn't make junk and he has a wonderful plan for your life. So here's the the second. I talk to a lot of people about who are they listening to and what are they believing? And if they change that, they can change the trajectory of their life. How do they change that? If somebody is not listening to the voice that's uplifting, what do they do? Well, until the pain to change is greater than the pain to change the same, you will not change, Brian. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. So there are a lot of people that they have learned and and you can meet them. You know who they are. They're the people that they're always negative that, you know, I I didn't have parents like yours. I didn't grow. You know, I didn't have the opportunity. It's always, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Until the pain to change that and say, you know what? I may not have had it, but there is a God who created me and he didn't create me to be a person of defeat and destruction and and of just loss Mm. and disappointment. He's given me until you're ready to walk into that world. I can't help you. 
You see, you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. Boy, is that the truth. You can't make a horse drink. You can take him to the water, but you can't make him drink, the old saying is. So you can't take a man or a woman that says, you know what? I believe I have potential, but I'm not going to believe that God can do that with me. George, God bless you. Thank God he did that for you, but he'll never do that for me. If that's what you believe, you will never enter into the destiny that God created you for. You see, God wants you to get to a place where you believe what he says is more powerful than what anybody else has ever said and let him direct your destiny because I didn't do it by myself. All I did was say, God, I believe you called me. I believe you can do with me what I don't think I can do with myself and say every day I got up, I went to the office, I preached. Let me tell you something. You talk about the early days, Brian. I would preach sermons on Sunday. I would invite people to come to the altars and pray. Once people started to leave the building, I would go into my office and lock the door and people would knock on the door and say, Pastor George, are you in there? Are you in there? And I wouldn't answer the door. And the reason I was embarrassed, I didn't think I did a good job preaching that day. But then I'd have to come back at church at night. That was in the days of church on Sunday nights and Wednesday night, and I would have to do it again. And somewhere between Sunday morning and Sunday night, God would give me the courage to go back and do it again. And I just kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And God developed me. God honed me. God chiseled me. God whittled away at the at the broken pieces of my life and the jagged edges. And then I had a wife that loved me and a wife that encouraged me and a wife when I knew it wasn't good, she'd say to me, George, that was a great message. You know, she would then say, you know, you might want to do this here or that, but she would always start with, that was a great message. I heard from God today. Thank you. So I had those support systems Mm -hmm. and I had to listen to what was right and reject what was wrong. What a blessing. Yeah. You know, as we finish up here, George, I would love for you to pray for our listeners, however the Lord would lead you. Amen. Jesus, I don't believe that anything happens by accident. I believe you're a sovereign God. And so everyone that is listening to this podcast at this very moment, it was ordained of God before they were born. You knew that they would be on this podcast listening today. It says it in the 139th Psalm that before one of my days were created, you ordained it and every step. So today you brought my friends on this call so that Brian and I could talk to them about their future, their hope. I ask in Jesus name that they will believe the words of God that have been recorded in the scriptures about them. They are beloved of the Father. They are a chosen individual. They have been destined for purpose. They're, all things are possible to, to them because they believe. They can do all things through Christ that strengthens them. May their hearts embrace the truth. And then I stand against the lies that have been spoken over them. I speak in the name of Jesus. Cover remove those lies out of their thinking so that they know that God's word is greater than any man's word or any negative word spoken over them. 
And finally, Holy Spirit, I ask that they would just simply offer you their hand and invite you to lead their life. May they be willing to work. May they let you do the work you want to do in them. And may they find their destiny as you have been so gracious to lead me into mine. I thank you for doing this. And I pray it all in the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. George, thank you so much for sharing your story. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Brian, for creating an avenue by which stories can be told. It's no different than the Bible. This is a living witness of what Jesus did for me, no different than anyone else in Scripture. And so may it be that every time someone listens to one of your podcasts, they can hear Jesus in it all. Thank God you. bless you. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you and find more out about your ministry, George? Use my email, george at visionorlando.org. George at visionorlando.org. Perfect. Thanks again, George. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.